0: Together we can create our new digital leader.
1: Connection, engagement, confidence. Do we feel we are in a psychologically safe place? Language shouldn't be able to stop you from career progression. We are changing the the future landscape of business, of leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Changemaker Conversations, brought to you by HALTF Corporate Education. My name is Dr. Milena Coupes. And in this series, we aim to bring you insights and stories from leaders and leadership developers who create change and inspire others to do the same. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with change maker, Nikki Hickson. Nikki is Global Head of Executive Development at Relics. She's also an executive coach, facilitator, and consultant in leadership and team development. Her passion is understanding human behavior, and she uses her expertise to create new insights for others. But without further ado, Nikki, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Milena. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Excellent. So, I think the biggest questions we're going to start with is who is Relics? What do they do? Who do they help? Oh, sure.
0: So, Relex is probably one of the biggest, biggest companies you've never heard of, um, despite it being the UK's 11th largest group by market cap. It's just behind GSK and the FTSE, and it's Europe's largest media company. In fact, we've just been voted Britain's most admired company in the media sector, beating Sky, WPP, and also BBC. Um, and in terms of what we do and who we help, On our website, it says, Ralex is a global provider of information-based analytics and decision tools for professionals and business customers, enabling them to make better decisions and get better results and be more productive. What that actually means in practice is that if you were to have an operation, um, there's a good chance your surgeon has used our tools to increase the chance of a positive outcome. Um, If you use online banking, our anti-fraud systems are likely to be verifying your identity to keep your money safe. And if you ever need a lawyer, they might be using our tools to increase your chance of actually winning the case. And whenever you buy a product, someone along the supply chain has probably benefited from one of our hundreds of trade shows. So the brands that people might be familiar with are Elsevier, um, as we own The Lancet, and Science Direct, which is the largest platform for science publications. Also LexisNexis, who operate in the risk and the legal space. And we're also responsible for running Comic-Con and the MIPIN trade shows that people might be familiar with.
1: What a huge organization indeed. I'm so excited to talk to you, especially because of the role you have in this organization. So my next question will definitely be, what is your background and can you tell us a little bit about your role?
0: Of course. So um, I guess starting with my background, um, I... I I started off in psychology, so I did a degree at Oxford University in physiology and psychology, and I was lucky enough to get early insight into how you can use those types of skills in a commercial environment. As I was tutored by, there by a guy called Dr. Robert McHenry, um, Dr. McHenry set up OPP, which brought the Myers-Briggs type indicator, the MBTI To the UK, and they became the sole distributor in the UK. And when I was a student, he actually took us down to the offices there to sort of show us and give us some insights into how these types of psychometric tools can be used in a business setting and environment. And I guess that planted an early seed of of how you can use this expertise in human behavior to sort of further business ventures in, in a much more commercial environment. Um, from there, I went on and did a master's in human resources and management at Aston University and I joined um, BT's Graduate Recruitment Scheme. So started off in a very big organisation doing graduate recruitment and development and training with them. I fairly quickly moved on to, to ASDA and worked with them at head office there in employee relations, um, looking after and helping all of the different ASDA stores around the country. Um, and then I had an opportunity to join um, GE, um, and GE have a human resources leadership program that they call Mid-Level Entry, and what they aim to do is fill in the gaps that you um In your CV that you don't have already from an HR perspective. So it's a completely tailored program and this was a fantastic opportunity. I got the chance to work standalone on an HR site in London, I worked in Prague um, at a business we just bought over there, I also worked in Denmark and had the chance to um, work outside of HR. So part of the program was a non-HR assignment um, where I worked in the quality function Um, And this was where we were looking at process improvements. So I was trained in Six Sigma and did all of my master black belt exams in that space. So that really broadened me out so that when I went back into HR, I had a really good commercial sense of how the business operated. Um, The other huge benefit at GE was we had the chance to study at Crotonville, which is their um, um, on-site learning academy in the U.S., um, where they made an incredible investment in your leadership development. So they pulled this group of HR professionals together um, four times over a two-year period to learn and develop and, and really sort of shaped our skills. So, so that took me a long way. And I, I then chose to to leave and join um, Ernst & Young, so now EY, um, they offered me my first HR director role, um, which was a fantastic opportunity, and that just over the over the years that just grew and grew. So I started looking after about five hundred people, and it grew to a thousand, and then grew further, looking after till I was looking after the most of the UK and Ireland business. Um, and at that point, I realised that whilst I enjoyed that, I was Where my sweet spot was, was really advising and supporting and helping people on a one-to-one basis. So I started to narrow my focus and moved, first of all, to look after the leadership development area um, for the business. And then when I had my children, when I had my my son, um, after I came back from maternity leave, I wanted just to do something completely different. So I put together a business case to set up an internal coaching organization within EY where we were looking at how to drive a coaching culture across the whole business but also how we could provide internal coaching at a relatively it's um, uh, a good cost this coincided just it was just after the recession so the business were interested in how they could do this in a really cost effective way So I ran an internal coaching function there and deepened my skills, became a trained, trained in coaching and became an executive coach, which I've now been doing for about 15 years. Um, That progressed into team coaching and I began to coach global account teams, which was a fantastic opportunity to really pull people together and see the difference that you could make from a commercial sense in the business by getting teams to really operate and trust one another um, and learn from what each other were doing with, within that client space. So I, I was actually at EY for 16 years. It was a, a huge um, part of my career and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's a, a great place to work. Um, and then I was approached by by RELX for the role that I'm in now and Just like many people I hadn't even heard of Relics, I had to go and search them out. But the more people I met on my journey um, through the interview process, the more I realized how much they invested in leadership development and also uh, how, how interested the leaders were in developing themselves. And the role that was on offer was to work with the top 100 leaders across the company to really help them develop themselves and uh, to, to become better leaders, I guess, in essence. And part, part of what I do with, uh, with each of those leaders is we, we basically go through a big 360 process. So for each person I work with, I would interview um, around 20 people that work closely with them. So all of their peers, all of their direct reports, Um, to get a real insight into what are those strengths that they bring that they can do more of to be even more effective, and what are the development points uh, that they have that they may want to work on and and get better at. So I then help them shape. I I give them all of the feedback, and we do a debrief and a coaching session, and then I help them shape a development plan that they can then work on in the next two to three years in their career. Um, so you do get really close to to the leaders in these roles, and there's a real opportunity to help them uh, become even better at what they do.
1: Wow, Nikki, that's such an impressive journey and such a comprehensive background, may I say? Thank and it's—I'm uh, just curious—you're uh, having all these one-to-one conversations, and you're bringing in this bigger-picture perspective that you've constructed throughout your career, that must be so powerful. And as you know, at TF, we are extremely passionate about leadership development and about learning and about just about change in general. So I can't help but wonder what changes are you seeing, have you seen throughout these one-to-one conversations with these top leaders that you're having throughout the years, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Milena. And I think I think what's been really interesting is that I joined RELX six months before the, the pandemic hit. So I was just getting into my stride and into my role when everything completely changed. And one part of my role is to have a annual check-in with each of those leaders. It always happens around this time of year, around March time. And I, I was... Talking to each person, spending time with them on their career, asking them to think through their aspirations and just making sure I was up to speed with where they were at before in preparation for our organisational talent reviews. And what I was finding, that I was having some really different conversations, perhaps than the ones I expected. Le- leaders were feeling quite vulnerable. They, um, they were in this very new situation. Everybody was at home. It impacted everybody equally globally and so I was noticing there was a real shift in the in the things that people were talking about and also what people were expecting from them as their leaders there was certainly an increasing need to focus on well-being and people were looking for human connection from their leaders above anything else And leading and inspiring teams remotely and creating that trust and rapport with people who joined their teams, who who they never had actually met in person, was requiring a sort of subtly different set of skills. And it, it was no longer enough to be a great strategic thinker or problem solver. And I think emotional intelligence has become an essential component of leadership now, rather than a nice to have. I think things have been moving in that general direction for quite some time, but I think the pandemic accelerated it considerably. I have to say, in some ways, I was delighted this was a really happy offshoot of of, of this type of way of working that we were sort of forced into, because it became clear to me that the leaders that were most successful, the ones I'd observed throughout my career, were those that had a really strong balance of both EQ and IQ. and. I, we also started to notice as things progressed through the pandemic we also started to notice that agility innovation pivoting really quickly to adapt to a new normal was critical um and in order to do this and take risks and people were needing to make decisions with incomplete information an ongoing ambiguity um and and the the byproduct of that the thing that we needed to do to ensure people would do that was that they needed to feel safe and to know that it was okay to fail so I've noticed a real shift in our organization of focusing on building trust and psychological safety within these environments within teams so that people do feel comfortable to take those risks and pivot and be agile in a way we we just didn't have to do at quite the speed in the past so all of this, all of these thoughts and, and information, I, I, as I was going through these conversations, because I probably had around 75 conversations over quite a short period of time, I just started to make notes about the things that were common and themes that were coming up. And then I decided to verify that externally with articles that were being published about shifts that other people were noticing in leadership. And what that's led us to is we've started to shape a new leadership framework uh, for the business, really building on the elements of commercial edge that continue to remain important, but also emphasising the skills required to lead through other people and also to operate with real agility. So we're looking now at how we emphasize the elements of the model that are unique to the Relax culture and also those that are more generic in terms of of leadership skills and also how we build on that concept of being an authentic leader so this just kept coming up one of the things I work with people a lot on now is how do they show vulnerability and the curiosity to keep on learning as well as being really true to themselves um, as a person is this just kept? This keeps being raised by people during the feedback calls that uh, that I was involved in. So it's something that we're focusing quite heavily on now.
1: I'm so glad to hear you say that you've noticed these shifts. We definitely have seen the same sort of thing going on on our end, and I love how you put it that in originally, or some time ago, perhaps pre-pandemic emotional intelligence, a focus on well-being was an option or a bonus. And now it's just become essential. There's just no way forward without it. So I'm very curious to hear how you feel well-being comes into play here, whether it's more that the leaders need to focus on their own well-being so that then they can help others, or is it about them helping to create a culture of well-being? Where do we stand as leaders? What should be our responsibility and our priority?
0: I think it's both, Milena, because I, I have a strong view that you need to put on your own oxygen mask first before you can help other people. And so one of the things It comes up so often um, in the one-to-one conversations that I have with people is how do they focus on their own well-being first of all to create a sustainable way of operating because most people at senior levels in a business can operate at their absolute peak for a short period of time but they very quickly get to a place where they're exhausted or or face the, the potential of burnout. I think the trick is how do you Put the relevant boundaries in place to really create um, really create a way of working for yourself that that works for you uh, and for your family and for the way you want to define your relationship with work. Um, so I think once leaders have done can do that for themselves, they're then in a really great position to create an environment and. Of well-being within their team so that people feel they have the flexibility to ask for what they need um, in order to perform successfully. And I think one of the things Relex does really well is it is that they we treat people as adults. So there's very much a, an adult-to-adult conversation going on around how people work from a hybrid perspective, but also then how the well-being piece works. Um, And what I tend to find is that leaders tend to be almost better at sorting out well-being for their teams and actually taking care of that. There's quite a lot of care and compassion being shown, but they're much less good at doing that for themselves.
1: I understand, Nikki. Thank you for answering my question that makes a lot of sense. And as you were talking there, I kept thinking about what you said earlier in terms of uh, remote working and how this created a new balance. And even though right now we have all accepted remote working or hybrid working, it's still impacting us and we're still learning how to be great leaders within this new context. So I'm wondering if you have any Thoughts around that and around the change that might be happening around that and what that means for your organisation.
0: Yes, I think I think it is it is a real challenge. We're noticing very different patterns of this uh, in different parts of the world, and so it's quite difficult, therefore, to to, to get a, a general view on, on how this should work best. I think one of the when I speak to leaders, one of the challenges a lot of them find is that. Is, is remote working for people who are newly entering the workforce. And they're the people that I worry about most. So where people um, haven't had a career before or just learning how the world of work works and they're actually having to learn their trade from scratch, I, I think I think it can be really challenging to do that when you're sat at home. I, I think back to one of my early roles, my my job i had when i was working at astra at head office in leeds and i was sat working in a team of six i was very new in my career it was only my second job i knew nothing about employee relations when i joined that team and i absolutely learned by osmosis so i was listening in to my colleagues taking calls listening to how they handled things um and i had some tremendous mentors there and um, one particularly one colleague i should mention marie gill um she she really taught me a tremendous amount, not just about the knowledge of the employment law, but also in terms of know-how, just how to adapt the theory and the things that you were looking at into something pragmatic and commercial that fitted in with the everyday reality for managers in the Asda stores that we were advising. And that, that sort of knowledge and that type of um, connectedness it's very, very hard to replicate when everybody is at home, remote working. And that's why I worry that for, I think it will potentially slow down the pace at which people can pick up these new roles. So I think we're going to have to get really smart at um, creating environments and learning environments for people new to the organization. Now, irrespective of things like the connections and also the friendships that you that you build up through those those periods of working I mean interestingly that that group of people that I worked with our friendships survived the last 25 years and we've been on lots of different holidays together and stayed connected despite us all working all over the world now and and, and in in some very different places and it's those types of connections that I think You know, bring joy to people's working life, um, and can be really, really important. So I don't want to lose that, and I think we've got therefore to get the balance right with bringing people together and getting that energy from one another, as well as benefiting from the productivity and the 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 balance that working from home can bring. So I'm officially a a home worker. I'm based um, based in Manchester, although I have an office in London. And relics are, are very flexible because I have a global role and most of my working is through um, video video calls or I can, I can really make that work um, for me. But you do still find that you do want to connect with people and you do want to spend time with people because that's a huge part of, of our working environment. And it's also how you learn and stimulate ideas and, and also innovation.
1: Thank you, Nikki. You're absolutely right. Um, You mentioned the word balance a few times, and I can't help but think that that's what change is about. It's about unbalancing and rebalancing and questioning the new balance and see how it fits with each one of us. And that's where the whole well-being comes into place. And of course, work productivity follows from that. So I think you summed it really nicely. And I am just so grateful that you've shared uh, your experiences with what you've been seeing at Relics. Do you feel that this is something that's specific to your organization or have you heard perhaps from your colleague, from your friends, that this is more of a pervasive change that's impacting all business in terms of uh, this shift in leadership and this focus on well-being and self-awareness?
0: I think it's a, a pervasive change a- a- across um, Most organizations. Certainly, when I started to notice the change at RELX, I did do quite a bit of research to understand a little bit more about what was going on in other organizations. And I also attended an executive development seminar fairly recently afterwards. It was my first outing after the pandemic of actually meeting people in real life and sharing stories. And we were all noticing. Very similar types of things, and this shift towards the importance of emotional intelligence and human connectedness and and that that was really helpful for me to actually hear from other organizations and hear that people were seeing the same thing. Um, I also attended a well-being conference at a similar time, and the focus and the shift towards that has been um has been incredible, actually. I think people are realizing that if we don't get this right, we are really going to struggle from a mental health perspective um, if we don't treat that with the same consideration we would physical health, um, with our focus on physical health. So I do think it's pervasive. I think it's something that leaders need to be really thinking about and working out different ways of being creative um, in terms of how they set up work and. Set up their relationships with their with their teams, and also how they drive team leadership. I think that's one of the the, the other big challenges is how do you, as a remote leader, and I think with it, certainly in Relx and an organisation that's very that takes its ESG commitments very seriously and is very focused on and um, getting a zero carbon footprint. People are getting together far far less, so we're having to lead through remote means and how you actually drive and build teams and get them energised and working together when you can't pull them into a room and have all of that um, energy in one place, I think it's going to be one of the biggest challenges that we all face. And I think the people who crack that and do that really well, particularly in global organisations, will be the ones that are very successful. Um, in 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 moving
1: forward. Thank you and that actually uh, gets me thinking about your journey and how much learning you've had across the years and your different experiences in various organizations as the world has been changing around you as well so perhaps it's a good time to ask you uh, the last question one that we love to ask all of our listeners and that that is what is the one thing you have learned along the way that you wish you would have known earlier in your career? That's that's a really that's a really
0: great question. And uh, it's really hard to pin it down to to, to one thing because I feel like I've learned lots and lots of things. I think probably the biggest thing that a coach taught me several several years ago, quite quite a, a while ago, when I was really struggling with how to manage my relationship with work and how to um put some real boundaries in place between how how I worked and how I lived and he shared a phrase with me uh, called which was um to be that I should be committed but not attached and I found that incredibly helpful um and I've shared that with quite a few of my coachees um, some of whom have described it as life changing or a real unlock for them, that it is possible to have a relationship with your business and with your work that that isn't so completely attached. So I think when you talk about the word attached, it can mean that you're incredibly emotionally involved. Often you take things very, very personally and you are unable to decouple from, from the actual work. What I've found by taking a much more committed but not attached approach is it provides perspective, it provides an ability to put real boundaries in place and stick to them um, without losing any of the energy and the passion that you have for your role and for your organization. Um, But it's a healthy way of operating that can really help you to have this sustainable
1: working pattern that i was talking about earlier thank you nikki uh i just started reflecting upon myself and what that means for me i think that everybody has somebody something to relate to in terms of uh, the learning so thank you so much for being so candid and sharing with us gosh uh we had such an interesting conversation and You got me thinking about so many things. Is there anything else that you would like to share before uh, I thank you for spending time with me today? No,
0: I don't think so. I think we've covered an awful lot of ground there. And thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's been great talking to you, Milena.
1: Thank you, Niki. It has really been wonderful to hear your perspectives today and to learn about the shifts you've been observing in terms of leadership in the bigger context of everything. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Change Maker Conversations. Would you like to talk further about unlocking human potential and creating positive change, either one-to-one or on this very podcast? If so, please visit HALTF.com slash inspire. Until next time, goodbye.